Hi, please stand with me if you're able to read a God from to read from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. Please read with me the verses in bold. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would with Christ. Not by the day of service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning. I'm the other Jeff. Good to see all of you here today. Before we uh, look into God's word together, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can call you Abba Father that you are not a distant God, but you are a God that desires intimacy with each one of us. And Father, we ask that as we open your word together that your spirit would be our teacher, that you'd open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to your truth, that you would breathe life into all that takes place here. Bless us as a family of believers. Minister to us corporately and individually, Lord, as you know our needs. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were here last week, either in person or online, you heard Pastor Brad, and he was teaching on God's design for marriage. And I so appreciated that rather than give a three-step method to building a better marriage, Brad instead, he held up the glorious beauty of Christian marriage. And he made the case biblically that one of the most foundational principles of a Christian marriage is that it is a signpost that ultimately points to Jesus Christ and his gospel. Ephesians 5 taught us that the ultimate meaning of marriage, the ultimate purpose of marriage, is that a husband and wife's commitment to one another would be a living witness to the world around them, a witness of the covenant-keeping love between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church, the body of Christ. 
And as we open Ephesians 6 this morning, I think we'll find that that same context is going to carry over. As we consider Paul's teaching on parents and children, we will see several basic principles of God's design for the family unit. But rather than discovering a step-by-step, easy-to-follow plan for how to raise our children, we will instead see that another foundational purpose of Christian marriage is not only to bring children into the world, but to bring those children to Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible, uh, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and the the verses will be on the screen as well. And I'll begin reading in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, first of all, I think it's worth noting that the placement of this relationship of parents and children in the text by Paul under the guidance of the Spirit, it does not come forward until after he's instructed us in chapter 5 on how to have a healthy Christ-centered marriage. Now, the reason I think that's important is I think it's a, a reminder that there's a common mistake that many parents make, and including Christian parents, That when their first child is is born, they sort of put their marriage on hold and they pour every last ounce of strength and focus they have into raising those kids. And then some 18, 20 years later, when their last child leaves the nest and they look at each other and they go, I think I've seen you before. What was your name again? But, but having a child, of course, it's a game changer. We all know when we bring a little precious baby home, our world is turned upside down. And, and, and so much of it is about raising those children as it should be. But just husbands and wives, it's important. I, I exhort you, don't forget your relationship with your wife, the romance between you and the importance of nurturing that relationship as well, because that will be a witness to your children. When they see a healthy, loving relationship between their parents, it can only bless them and and lead them in that same direction. In verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now, notice how Paul says parents, plural, and, and how he goes on to mention both the father and the mother. So dad and mom are both called to do this child-raising thing together. And the same truth can be found in Proverbs 6. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. The fact that Paul directs children to obey and honor both of their parents means that both mom and dad are giving guidance and instruction that can be obeyed by their kids. Now, in God's design for a Christian family, both the father and mother are teaching and guiding and nurturing and disciplining their children. Now, on a practical level, if we boil down Paul's teaching here, he's listing two valuable lessons that each child must learn. And Paul tells children to obey and to honor. 
In other words, children need to learn obedience and children need to learn to respect their parents, to respect the authority that God has placed over them in their life. Now, I'm sure there are literally thousands, if not millions, of children who, and I'm counted in this group when I was in my teenage years, children that, um, when hearing Paul's teaching, would say, but you don't know my parents. I mean, I already know everything I need to know. I have a full understanding of the world and how it works. And my parents are, are embarrassing goofballs. And the primary indicator that a child has that disease is when you hear them say things like that. Now, for argument's sake, let's just assume that somewhere out there on planet Earth, there is a perfect, all-knowing child. And let's also suppose that his parents, like each of us in this room, are less than perfect, that they are imperfect parents. Now, you may remember in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus was 12 years old, his parents couldn't find him. They're frantically searching for him, and they find him finally in the temple. And in verse 51 of chapter 2, Luke wraps up this episode with the following words. And he, Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Jesus was literally the perfect kid. Though he was a small boy, he was and is still God in human flesh. And Mary and Joseph, like us, were certainly imperfect parents. So God had every right to make an exception, at least in this case, you would think. Yet Luke tells us that Jesus went down with them, came to Nazareth, and was submissive to them. And notice in verses 1 and 3, Paul lists several main reasons why a child should learn obedience and respect. At the end of verse 1, he says, for this is right. So this is God's design, and that makes it right. God created us. God gets to make the rules. God knows what's best for us. And he also quotes one of the Ten Commandments. He follows up in verse 3 that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So it's, it's a biblical principle that when we teach our children obedience and respect, it will be good for them throughout their lives. It will, both, both practically and spiritually, it will set them on a good path for their life as it goes forward. Now in verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, our God is infinitely wise, and he knows that the kind of authority that he has given parents over their children, that it can be abused, it can be misused, it can be applied improperly and unlovingly. So Paul is led to list four specific commands to parents. He tells us, do not provoke them to anger, bring them up, discipline them, and instruct them. Now, first of all, how do we avoid provoking our children to anger? Well, Paul tells us this right in the passage when he uses the word but, which, which also means instead. So he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So Paul 
uh, shows us here what we need to do to avoid unnecessarily provoking them to anger is those three things. We need to bring them up, we need to discipline them, we need to instruct them. Now the words translated as bring them up, they also mean to nourish, to nurture, and to encourage. So we're called to create a healthy, positive, Christ-centered environment where our children can grow and flourish. And we're called to nurture them and encourage them and bring them up in the Lord. Now to discipline, this means pretty much what it sounds like. It means to be willing to punish our children if they are intentionally disobedient or, or disrespectful. And it's important that our children learn that there are consequences for the choices they make, both good and bad. We encourage the good choices, we punish the bad choices. Now to instruct means to teach them, to help our children understand the word of God and the world around them. Now the original Greek word, it carries another meaning that is interesting. It means to admonish or to give warning. In other words, we're to teach our children of the consequences that result from bad attitudes and wrong actions. Now, if, we reason, if we're reasonably consistent in each of these areas, we will rarely provoke our children to anger. When my child acts wrongly, I, I need to ask myself, before I immediately jump to discipline mode, I need to ask myself, have I instructed her before not to do that? Have I set boundaries and warned her what would happen if she disobeyed in that way. And if, that, if that's the case, it's time to discipline. But if not, if the answer is no, then I need to instruct my daughter or my son in what is expected of them. Very important that we remember that. Now, now think about it. If I, if I punish my child for violating a boundary that she didn't know existed, what will her response be? She'll get angry and there'll be a seed of bitterness will be planted. So Paul is, is giving us these general principles of God's design for the parent-child relationship. The child should be obedient and respectful of their parents. And parents should encourage and instruct, nurture and discipline in a balanced way, never needlessly provoking their children to anger. Now I mentioned earlier that the deepest meaning of a marriage is to be a witness to Christ to display the covenant-keeping love between Christ and his church. And I think that same principle applies to the raising of children. And I think we see that in the text. Note the phrases that Paul bookends his teaching on the family with. In verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And in verse 4, at the end of this section, he says, Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So in God's design for marriage, it's all beautifully woven together. A godly marriage makes a home that, that is like a theater of sorts, where children, as they grow up, they can see and they can experience and they can be enfolded by the love and the grace and the truth and the glory of the covenant-keeping God. It's a beautiful, beautiful design. But God's plan to make children into followers of Jesus Christ, it doesn't take place exclusively in the immediate family. It also happens within the covenant bond of the church as a whole. Now, if you think about it, our spiritual family, your spiritual family, is significantly larger than your immediate family. 
And that's, that's sort of how it should be. That's a normal thing. Now, now take Paul, for example. There's hints in Scripture that Paul may have been married at one time, uh, but there's no real evidence that he ever had children. We don't find that in, 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 the, in the Bible. Yet, when he writes his first letter to Timothy, he says, To Timothy, my true child in the faith. And when he writes to Titus, he greets him in this way, To Titus, my true child in a common faith. Now, another interesting example is found in the last chapter of the book of Romans. And Paul writes, Greet Rufus. Funny, parents rarely decide to name their child Rufus. I'm not, it's a biblical name. I'm not sure why. I think Rufus needs to make a comeback, in my opinion. Sort of catchy if you think about it. But he writes, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. And isn't that beautiful? We see that the mother of Rufus by birth, Rufus's actual biological mother, can, in a spiritual sense, extend her motherhood to someone else outside of her physical family. Apparently, her impact on Paul was such that he could say she had been a mother to me as well. So when it comes to making children into followers of Jesus Christ, God has expanded that responsibility beyond the parents, and he looks to others in the body of Christ to come alongside a child's birth parents and help them in bringing their children to Christ. So whether you're a married couple with an empty nest, you're, you're a husband and wife who have been unable to have children, or you're single, and, and marriage may or may not be in your future, regardless of where God has you at this time of your life, even if you don't have children, if you are a believer, then you're part of the spiritual family that God is knitting together in this church. And as such, you have the privilege and, and really the honor of coming alongside parents and helping to bring their children to Jesus Christ. Now, regardless how God might use of us, each of us in that manner, regardless of what ways he does that, uses us to touch their lives, we can know that our Savior is pleased. He's pleased when it happens. In the Gospel of Mark, people were, were doing just that. They were bringing their children to Christ, and they were bringing them to Jesus. And we read in Mark, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I think that just beautifully underlines how precious children are to Jesus Christ, to our Father in heaven, and to each of us. So let's continue in verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. 
Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Now you may be thinking, what do bond servants or slaves have to do with me and with my life here today? And I first just want to acknowledge there are still forms of slavery that are taking place on planet Earth. And that's a very sad fact. But for those of us in this room, as far as I know, I don't, and forgive me if I don't know that about you, but I don't know that any of us are in a slave relationship, that we are slaves. But I think that what Paul teaches here, I think the principles could be applied fairly to the employer-employee relationships and how those work. And, and who knows, there's probably more than one of you in this room at some point has called your boss a slave driver. So Paul, when he, when he wrote this letter, to put it in context, slavery was extremely common. And, and some historians estimate that in the Roman Empire at that time, there were as many as 60 million slaves. And it was roughly 50% of the population were in some type of a slave or bond-servant relationship with a master. Roughly half the population. So, so the most common profession where one took direction from a superior was serving as a slave. Now, as far as these principles Paul teaches are concerned, I, I really do believe that, that they, they can apply fairly to the employee-employer relationship. And I think that would be the closest equivalent in our culture today, at least for those of us that are in this room. Now, I think the bottom line that Paul's making here is that our job is a calling from God. In his sovereign will, God has placed us in that place that we work. And there's nothing wrong with earning a living, and there's nothing wrong with making money, but the purest motivation we can have at work, in addition to that, the purest motivation, as Paul mentions in verse 7, is to do our job with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. In other words, when we're working, Paul's reminding us here that there's something at stake that is more valuable than our paycheck, and that something is our Lord's reputation. As Christians, as children of God, we represent our Heavenly Father to those we work with and to those we work for. And in verse 7, Paul gives us an example of how not to do that. He says, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers. Now, have you ever had a coworker, because I'm sure none of you have ever done this yourselves, but have you ever had a coworker that does next to nothing when the boss isn't around? And then the boss shows up and all of a sudden they're up slaving away and they're working really hard and cracking a sweat and that kind of thing. Supervisor shows up and they're Johnny on the spot. Well, Proverbs 10:26 it describes the effect of this type of employee the effect he'll have on his boss. Proverbs 10:26, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. So the boss has sent this employee to do a job and he ends up being a sluggard. Now, has anyone here gargled with vinegar lately? How about, do you, do you recall being around a campfire and when the wind shifts and you get this eye full of smoke right in your eyes. Well, what, what do vinegar and smoke have in common? They're both irritants. 
So as a Christian in the workplace, if I'm a lazy employee who's not concerned with my witness, I will be an irritant to my boss. And that is not a positive or an accurate representation of the Lord who saved me and the Lord who sent me to work in that place. Now in verse 9, Paul has a word for bosses as well. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So Paul, he's speaking to the masters in his day and the employers of our day, and he's reminding them of a very simple truth. Paul is teaching all of the big cheeses, the head honchos, the CEOs, the doctors, the administers, cuckoo kachoo. He's speaking to all of them, and he reminds them, he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. In other words, regardless of how much power and authority one might have over another human being, the master will answer to his creator for how he treated those under him. And as Paul tells us, there is no partiality with God. Now the author of Hebrews, he confirms this truth. He says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, another way Paul might say this, if he were with us here today, would be something like, I don't care if you're Jeff Bezos or Vladimir Putin or President Biden, there's only one true God, and guess what? You're not him. So in closing, ah, did you love that word, in closing, those words? Always a pleasure to hear. Paul, he's laid out a lot in these first nine verses. Um, He's really packed a lot in here. He's shown us that whether we're in a marriage or are single or at our job or about our neighborhood or even when we're in church, we're always called to reflect this family resemblance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, particularly when it comes to children, to little ones that our Lord holds so precious, we saw that God has designed marriage and by extension the church itself to be theaters that display the grace and the mercy and the love and the truth of God, that that displays the beauty of Jesus Christ. So one of the, the most wonderful things you can do as parents for your children is they see this love between their mom and dad. They see this joy between them. And, and, and that's a demonstration of the love of Christ that he has for his church and for his body. What a privilege we all share to bring children to Jesus. That, that he might touch them and heal them and adopt them into his eternal family. What, what a privilege that is. And the key to all of this is the gospel. That we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that we can only find forgiveness through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God who lived a life of perfect obedience. Perfect obedience to his Father. And then he died on a cross in our place for our sin that whosoever believes in him 
would not perish, but would have eternal life. And Paul here has given us quite a few exhortations and commands, and I just, I so hope that there's not one person that leaves here today thinking that they need to try harder, thinking that they need to somehow pull themselves up by their bootstraps and be more like Jesus and try harder to do A, B, C, and D. We need to rest in the love of our Father, and we need to know the Bible teaches us without a doubt that God is doing a good work in us and that He is conforming us to the image of His Son. So rather than trying harder, relax and be pliable in the hands of the Lord as He works in your life to make you like His Son little by little more and more throughout your life. Pray, commune with the Father through prayer, read his word, fellowship with other believers, and rest, rest, rest in the finished work of Christ. He is doing a beautiful work in your heart. And I think God is, I don't think, I know that he's doing a beautiful work in this body of believers. He's, he's doing a beautiful work in our midst here at Grace Sacramento. He's knitting us together as a family of believers. And one of my favorite places in the service every week is watching Brad or Daniel try to herd the cats after we exchange peace greetings with one another. And we're usually pretty out of control and I think that's beautiful. But God is doing a wonderful work here and we each have the privilege and the honor in some small way of helping to bring children to Jesus, helping them to see the beauty and the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ and hoping, joining in that hope that they will be adopted into the family of God for all eternity. With that in mind, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that rather than us seeking you and trying to find you, you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us this book, the very words of God that you breathed out through your apostles and through others, Lord, that wrote these words. We thank you. And God, we just ask that you would, by your Spirit, help each of us to rest in you, to rest in our salvation, to, to experience the peace of a God that has done everything for us that we need to be saved. And Lord, I ask that you would continue your beautiful work in each of us as you, bit by bit, make us more and more like your Son. Might that be a reality in each of our lives as a family of believers and as individuals. We thank you, we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.